So uh, today, just for a couple of minutes here, we want to get back on uh, track of where we've been uh, for uh, the last uh, a month or so. I hope that uh, you are uh, enjoying uh, reading all the things you're getting. You're getting a lot of things. How many of you receive the UMJC daily little uh, Count the Omer reading? Yeah, getting that, some of you? Yeah, good. I'm glad. I, that's very good, very good. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you have the daily uh, wholehearted tome, right? Uh, the the uh, daily uh, devotional, uh, the daily uh, installment of a wholehearted, uh, the wholehearted journey of wholeheartedness that we're on. I'm still trying to come up with a good name for what it is. But anyway, uh, our journey of wholeheartedness daily installments. That's a lot of words. Uh, but I hope you're getting that. Uh, I'm enjoying that. Henry's bringing out a lot of important truths. Uh, and what I will say is that if you're having a hard time reading the whole thing every day, I'll bet some of you are, right? Then what, you know what I'm going to suggest? Read the beginning and then go down to the end. Read the beginning and then read the, what's in bold at the end, okay? Because, you know, I love the phrase, half a loaf is better than none, Okay? I, I, I'm quite the practitioner, you might say, all right? So that's what I'll say. If you're having a hard time, better than not reading it at all, right? Or by all means, read the whole thing. I mean, that's like A number one. That, that's like, yay, good, okay? Uh, that's good. And then, of course, on Tuesdays, uh, we have our time of uh, prayer and fasting. And again, you know, um, I've learned over the years that expectations here and then you get surprised, and it's really good, okay? So I hope that we're at least thinking about it on Tuesday. Like, thinking about it. Just like, you know, you get that little thing from me that say, today is the day to fast and pray. And uh, my guess is, it's not everybody can fast, and you're going to work, and you got other things on your mind. And maybe, you, you know, pray a little bit here, a little bit there. At least think about it, right? Or pray, or fast. That's all good, whatever it is. Because all of it is focused. It's all about focus. You know, it's not about jumping through hoops. You don't get brownie points. Like, here's the gold star, and you, you read every single thing you got, uh, or you did this, or you did that. It's not about that. It's about focus, time and focus. That I'm thinking about, you know, Beth Messiah and growth, and where am I in that, and are we moving forward, and, and hopefully uh, you're able to take some time and, and, and pray pray, uh, because, you know, usually uh, when you're in a prayer meeting and we're talking about prayer and stuff, you know, we're praying for broken arms and twisted ankles and, and other things that are really important. Uh, other things like, you know, diseases or jobs, as I like to say, uh, you know, it's either about transportation, health, uh, or income. You know what I mean? Those are generally the, the topics. But uh, important for us to have the big picture worldview of who we are in this world and what God is doing, you know? Uh, and to be focused on that kind of prayer. So I hope that uh, when we pray, we're praying uh, uh, that way. That we as a community would be a light to the, you know, uh, we as a congregation would be a light to the community, uh, that we would abide in the Lord. And, and I really believe that as we're focused on those things, 
And as, we're pray, as we pray, and if we can fast, and a fast can be just separating from something, that some kind of self-sacrificial way, that, that really uh, adds to our, I think, uh, the richness of our walk with God, as the scriptures clearly teach, that we will see increase at Beth Messiah. Absolutely. Okay? All right. So uh, we've been talking about uh, pursuing, pursuing uh, this way of life and going after it. And our, our key verse has been um, a passage in uh, 1 Timothy in chapter 6, right? In, uh, verse, uh, in verse 11. The second part of the verse says, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And, uh, you know, we've uh, talked about it, pursuing it, going after it, and so on, right? Okay, and, uh, and we even uh, made a, a, little, uh, a little sentence, uh, a little sentence out of it, right? Uh, and basically, uh, that little sentence, uh, you know, is uh, do the right things uh, in the right way, uh, as a demonstration of, um, of fidelity to God, uh, in a sacrificial way, no matter how difficult it is, with an attitude of gentleness, with an attitude of kindness. And, uh, and, and so, really what we've been talking about, uh, we've been talking about uh, these categories, they're categories, really, uh, and so we have righteousness and godliness, and we've been trying to put legs on these things, like how do you actually do righteousness, do uh, uh, godliness? Uh, and so we've been mentioning a number, uh, a number of them. Uh, but this week I had the opportunity to... Uh, someone asked me a question, actually, that uh, they attended the MSI class that Dr. Meyer was teaching, and righteous acts are things that are expected, to, that, things you do that are expected of you. That, right? That's, that, that was basically the things you do. Uh, and it has to do with like how you treat other people, you know, what you do. So this person asked me, well, how, is there a word that is sort of the vertical on that? You know, in other words, uh, if righteous being a tzaddik, so to speak, or a righteous person is about how you treat other people, is there a word that is exclusive to the vertical in our relationship with God? So I thought about it, and I, you know, I have to think about it. But what is interesting is, is that the second word uh, in this uh, sentence here, uh, in verse uh, 11, godliness, godliness, uh, kind of is that. It's a very interesting word, as it turns out. Uh, and uh, and on, in the sentence that I made out of the whole thing, I said, do the right thing in the right way, or with the right attitude, maybe originally, but I like this better, in the right way, right? What is in the right way? Because you could actually do righteous, anybody can do a righteous act if it's a right thing to do. They might have really different motivations, but they might be doing a righteous thing. For example, I just watched a film about a couple uh, who saved a, a, a number of Jewish people in the Holocaust, and they were Unitarians. They were Unitarians. Uh, they uh, were not uh, doing it because of their uh, uh, love for God, or it was, to them, it was the right, it was the right thing to do, 
okay? Uh, and, and so a righteous act can be done in a number of different contexts, okay? But the second word is like a qualifier in a way, in the right way. Uh, or, or again, it, yeah, in the right way, the right desire and motivation. Perhaps motivation is a better word with the right motivation. Uh, and uh, so the, the word... You know, it's funny when you look when you look up words in Hebrew and Greek, and then you look at your English Bible. Basically, what happens is you have a uh, you have a set of Greek or Hebrew words, and then you have a set of English words. Okay, uh, and the set of English words is sort of like the range of meanings of those different words. Okay, and so basically, godliness. Uh, the range of the meaning of godliness, just to, for the sake of time, is basically piety, respect, reverence, awe, words like that. Piety, respect, reverence, and awe, uh, certainly uh, 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 toward, uh, toward God, right? So that word has to do with uh, specifically the way that we do things, or the way that we emote toward God, right? Uh, so, you know, and, and uh, if we were sitting around the table, boy, this would make a great Bible study uh, to look at all the nuances of what these words mean. But I think you, you get my point, right? So it's very interesting. I'm going to be really, you know me, I'm kind of like, you see what you get. So I took, like, look at all these notes. See that? Look at that. Look at that. Don't worry. No, don't worry. Don't worry. See all those notes? So then what I did, then what I did is I distilled it down. I said, I can't, I can't do that. That's too, too much. So then I, I, I distilled it down to like a, a, a couple of pages. And then what I ended up with is just uh, uh, this. Basically, this is what I, this is me, right? A few words, a couple arrows, and we're all set, right? Okay. So basically what it is, is uh, a piety, respect, awe, uh, and all that. So when you drill it down, then you end up with piety, respect, reverence, awe, and fear. Okay? Uh, the fear of the Lord. And of course, the fear of the Lord, we read about the fear of the Lord all over the place, right? And so fear, the fear of the Lord is sort of this overarching phrase uh, that we could say encompasses all of it. All of it. And awe is another word. And you probably are aware of this. Uh, but in the Bible, uh, whether we're talking about the uh, in Hebrew or in Greek, that when you read the word uh, fear, fear uh, uh, also means words like awe, okay? Uh, or respect. So for irreverence. So, for example, in the 19th chapter of Leviticus, whenever we study it, I always like to point out a couple of particular verses. That's where you read, don't put a stumbling block before a blind person, but revere the Lord your God. Okay? So, in many English translations, what it says is, don't put a stumbling block before a blind person, but fear the Lord your God. In fact, most English translations say, but, but fear the Lord your God. So, clearly, to cut to the chase... You're saying, it's about time you did that, right? Uh, that uh, uh, fearing God is not about being terrorized by God, okay? 
and, and, and it is not about being, being afraid of God. Now, granted, there are verses in the Bible uh, where you read about fear and trembling, right? Uh, there's like five or six verses. Moses at, the Mount, at Mount Sinai, fear and trembling before God, right? And, and so it is, God is so uh, uh, other and otherly that the response is, you know, to scale back, right? Uh, like when Isaiah had his vision of uh, the throne of God, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Uh, that was, that was his, uh, his response, right? Uh, but for us, when we talk about uh, the fear of the Lord as a Messiah follower, it can't be about shrinking back. It really isn't about uh, uh, you know, being afraid of, of God, but it is uh, honoring God and respecting him in a, uh, in, a particular, in a particular way. And so this idea of godliness, in a way, is summed up in a passage in uh, the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 12, I, I'm just going to read verse 28. It's a great little verse. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable acceptable servants with reverence uh, and awe. Okay? And so when you look up those words, reverence and awe, you basically get words like fear, uh, caution, uh, you know, to sort of like walk circumspectly, you might say, you know, in a, in, uh, uh, before God. Uh, but it is not uh, about uh, being uh, afraid. It is indeed uh, recognizing uh, truth about, about God. Uh, and so, um, uh, very interestingly, that um, Abraham Heschel wrote about awe, about what awe is, what, what fear is and awe is. Uh, and uh, uh, we could say that, you know, um, that when we think about awe or the fear of the Lord, it means uh, to recognize the majesty of God, to recognize the, his authority over creation, uh, his ultimate accountability, right? Uh, awe is to realize, this is basically what, what Heschel said, and I'm not going to read it. Uh, awe is to realize that behind everything, Everything that happens is some type of relation to God, in a sense that what we see, that there's two kinds of things that we see. The things that we see with our eyes, but that God is behind it all, right? We, and we can't understand all of it, but that there is something about God in, in everything. When God opens our eyes to see the reality behind what we see, we experience the fear of the Lord. We get a glimpse of the reality and mystery and grandeur of, uh, of God, about what God is really like. And when we understand that, wow, God has opened up my eyes to see who he really is and that what I see in this world is not all that there is, that gives us what we would call this healthy fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. It means that we recognize who God is and his reality. Not that we have to be afraid of him. We have to be afraid of him if we have no assurance 
of a relationship with him. Then we do have to be afraid of him. Then it is uh, terrifying if we, if we have no assurance of our uh, salvation, of our, the forgiveness of our sins. That then he is terrifying. But if we've embraced Yeshua, he is not terrifying, right? Uh, but uh, he is filled uh, with uh, awe. And how does that affect us? Well, it's kind of interesting. In Job, Job is a, a, a good example, I think, of this. So in Job 13, he says a very famous uh, statement. Okay. In Job chapter 13, he says in verse 15, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. Did you know that that's the second part of the verse there? Okay, so it says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my way before him. In other words, uh, Job had such a sense of the presence of God and held God in awe that even though his life was falling apart, his hope was still in him. And even though his, that, that he understood who, the, the majesty of God, he felt the comfort and the assurance to be able to speak honestly with God. How does that happen? How does that happen? Well, let's go back to uh, Hebrews, chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, okay? So when it says, Therefore, uh, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service and reverence, uh, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire, Okay? At the beginning of the verse, it says, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, because we have the assurance that God is indeed our king, then no matter what is going on in our lives, with that assurance that he really is the king, that, that, that there is a real reality that God is king, that Yeshua is king, then I have within me the ability to show gratitude by living a life of acceptable service in the fear of the Lord, with, with reverence and awe. And when we cultivate reverence and awe toward God, that brings us a long way in everything else. When we cultivate this sense of reverence and awe for who God is, His majesty, His kingship, we see that we can weather whatever storm that there is, because there is a reality uh, be behind it. Uh, you know, it's interesting, in another place, in Psalm 93, this is another great example of this, the Lord reigns, he is clothed with majesty. You know, we're used to reading things like that in the Bible, but when this was written, it didn't feel like God was the king, you know? Uh, but this is a, a, a reality uh, that he had. The Lord reigns. He is king. It is an unseen reality that he is indeed uh, the, the uh, king. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Thy throne is established from of old. Thou art from everlasting. He's been the king forever, right? And so when our eyes are open to this unseen truth, that is real wisdom. Okay. There we have awe, the fear of the Lord. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. 
like chaos, chaos in, in, in the world, uncontrollable things going on in my life are, are, I, you know, are drowning me. But you are indeed the king. You are indeed the king. More than the sounds of many waters, than the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. See? So that no matter how crazy life is, that when we cultivate this fear of the Lord, the awe of God, we're able to stand firm because we know that his kingship is unshakable and that nothing can separate me, you know, uh, uh, from that. So I have the confidence to, you know, to, to know God and to trust uh, in him in that way. So I'm reading a book uh, these days. It's called The Unseen Real. It's the name of it. The Unseen Real. And uh, what it's about, it's about Yeshua sitting at the right hand of the Father. And that, and that that is the unseen reality. And that we basically live, live our lives according to the reality of what we see. And when we live just on what the reality that we see, there is very little awe or majesty uh, or reverence, really, that we have uh, uh, toward God, other than we know we're supposed to have it. You know what I mean? Because when you look at the world, the world, the world and the junk in it and the chaos in it do not reflect, really, the majesty of God. It's a mess. So we have to see the unseen real. That's the point there. And so a great passage, just to finish up uh, about this, is uh, Colossians chapter 3. It says, If you then you have been raised up with Messiah, keep seeking the things above where Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. When Messiah, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Basically, what is he saying? He's saying, you, your identity is not in, your, in the craziness of this world or whatever's going on in it. Your identity is in the Messiah. And the Messiah is located uh, at the right hand of God. And you're there too. Okay? You're there too. Your life is hidden in him. We have to get that in our minds. That's why he says, keep thinking on things above. It doesn't mean, like, ignore the important things going on in your life, you know? Uh, it means remember who you are in Messiah, and that is where you live, okay? Now, you know, back in the Garden of Eden, heaven and earth were kind of located together. Did you know that, you know, it's not really true that heaven is this nebulous place where, you know, where is that right hand? Where is it? You know what I mean? I, uh, it is where God is. It is where God is. It is where, where the throne of God is. Well, when you go back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, God was right there in the Garden of Eden. And it was supposed to stay that way. It wasn't like Adam and Eve were supposed to die and then go somewhere else and play harps on clouds wearing diapers. Okay? Ay, ay, ay. Ay. Okay. Uh, so anyway... Uh, that, 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 that where God is. Then there was the sin, right? And so where God is and where humanity is became this big chasm, this big, big, big alienation. 
when Yeshua comes, he's come to restore all of that, right? Uh, initially in his death and resurrection and ascension, right? And, and so when Yeshua ascended, ascended, this was in order for us to be able to experience uh, his glory, his being, his person in his resurrection. You know, it's interesting. We like to say, you know, it's about the resurrection. It's about the resurrection. But I'm going to tell you this. It's actually, technically, it's about the ascension of Yeshua to the right hand of the Father. And then when he poured out the Ruach, when he poured out the Ruach, that is the way that we get to experience his ascension, his being at the right hand of the Father. So the reality is that when you embrace the Lord and the Ruach lives in you, you are living in this world, right? But that chasm has become much smaller. And as long as we keep our eyes focused on him in that way, we can then weather the storm because, because we will remember who I am in him and the unseen, what is the unseen reality. Do you know that the kings of this world come and go, right? Issues in this world come and go over days, weeks, months, years, millennia. But the reality of God stays the same. That means that he's more real and permanent than what you see. And he is, he is the reality. And we need to live that. So how do you live that way? How do you do, that's how we cultivate awe and the majesty of God and all that by constantly having in our minds who God is and my identity, therefore, uh, in him. So all I would say, you know, you, here, here's a little thing. It's about time, it's about focus, uh, and, it's, and it's about thinking, okay? Like anything else, to cultivate this way of life isn't just, well, now I know the Lord and there you go. It takes, you got to dwell on it. you got to think about it. you got to read, read the Psalms. Read like Psalm 102, 103, 104, 105, 106, 107, 108, 109, and 110. How's that? Okay? Read those. So it's all about the majesty of God and the glory of God and the great things that, that he has done. Live there and recognize that is the reality of the risen Messiah who is at the right hand of God and my life is really hidden in him. That is how you stay above the fray. Listen, we live in this world that brings all kinds of things. But the difference for us is God has given us this great wisdom. We can see beyond what is uh, easy to see with the eye. And by doing so, we cultivate this awe and respect and majesty and confidence, therefore to be able to live uh, a, uh, a, godly, uh, a, a godly life. Uh, and so on your own time, read the 13th chapter of Hebrews, because right after it says uh, that we have a kingdom that's unshakable, uh, show gratitude, which is also an interesting word. It's, it actually is the word for grace, show grace. It's actually charis uh, is the word there. Uh, you know, with awe and, uh, and reverence. Then right after that, it talks about love the brethren. It's, it gives like this whole laundry list toward the end of the book of just personal relationships and, and uh, you know, uh, and how we live well with, uh, with others. Uh, and, uh, and so if we're going to be a, uh, you know, a people, a congregation that 
that uh, lives this way. We need to cultivate that awe and that majesty. And that means looking at God's calling on our lives beyond what's the budget and who's doing that and leading that and what time is that start? And this, yeah, we need all that. Of course, we need all. It's all important, right? But remember that God is doing a work beyond what is visible. We're part of the grandeur of God. And that should cultivate in us an awe and reverence for him. And that is why Job was able to say, though he slay me, I will hope in him, but I'm really going to keep talking to you, God, uh, indeed, uh, about it. You know, I, I, what Job was, was demonstrating is, is that when you feel like everything's out of control, when life is out of control, that by cultivating this kind of life, you actually gain control of yourself. You gain control of your emotions uh, and how you respond to things as, as we live in this invisible presence of who God is. Our life is hidden in him. And that is how uh, we, we cultivate that, by remembering we have this unshakable kingdom that will never be moved when we live there, when we think about it, when we cultivate it, we will see a whole different way that we operate in our lives. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, um, uh, we do pray, Lord, that yes, uh, we would pursue righteousness, but with godliness, that we would pursue, Lord, a way of life that uh, is, uh, understands who you really are, that you really are the king, that you really are uh, the sovereign, all-powerful one, that you really are above the floods of life, that you really uh, are who you say you are, and that the world really is not out of control. Lord, may we have our eyes fixed on you at all times, Lord, so that we can get through the difficulties of life and not drown in the flood, but rise above it knowing that you are indeed our king and we live in you. We pray in Messiah's name.